0: Welcome back to What's Up Universe. This is MK. I'm here with my bestie, my die, Jen. Hey, guys. How are you on this lovely Saturday? Doing a lot better than you. Because <laughs> you got COVID. <laughs> I think everyone is doing better than me. <laughs> yeah, uh, my kiddo got it at school, and then it's just passing around. It's rampant through the schools right now. I've gotten a couple like exposure notices... From the school and you're like, oh, great, because the best part is my youngest son can't wear a mask.
1: Like, oh, you yeah. know, he just
0: can't. He doesn't like anything on his face. Um, So that's been fun. But I'm just tired. Luckily, I don't really have any worse
1: symptoms right now. So. To let everybody know what we were doing, we had planned on one of our other more fact-heavy podcasts, and then we both sat down and it was evident that adulting is exhausting. And we were going to talk about friendships anyway, like what adult friendships are like, and then it just occurred to both of us. Maybe we should just be real and talk about what it's like being an adult and the good stuff and also the bad stuff of trying to balance a work-life balance, because... You know, everybody tells you that it's so important to have the work-life balance, but how feasible is that? I don't think it exists. Do you? It got better for me. So it got better when I was able to define my own schedule and I have the current career that I have where I can make things work. So it got better for me versus what it used to be when I was working in eight to five. However, I was just talking to you about what adds on to that is like having kids. And I don't have that experience yet. Where you're also taking care of two little people. So I have a work-life balance right now. The other thing though is that I'm exhausted all the time after work. So you even if you have the, the balance to and the time, you don't necessarily want to do stuff. As a therapist, that must be tough to like
0: turn that off and clock out and just decompress. What are the ways in which you do that?
1: I I get in my car at the end of a work day and I um, scream s- sing whatever song is my like favorite song that day which has definitely been Grimes before and I let it go like I actually don't have problems leaving stuff at the office and it's part of why I loved this podcast was it gave me a chance to do something outside of my job but like right now you're having trouble balancing working extreme work days that you don't know what's coming up next. On top of trying to figure out how do I run my household, it's a lot of pressure.
0: It is. I try to be grateful like every morning, no matter how I'm feeling, I try to write down everything that I'm grateful for. I do have a flexible schedule, but I think sometimes with too much flexibility, it's hard to organize. Yes. So, what are your tips as a therapist and adult and an adult lady? How do you balance? And how do you organize your day? I remember the other day you were talking about your workout. Like you you have a pretty strict workout regime, which I had no idea. Can yeah. you tell us all a little bit about that?
1: I work out in the morning because otherwise I lose my marbles by midday. And I'm either not going to work out at the end of the day, or I feel more anxious and depressed if I haven't worked out that morning. So I love to work out for that reason. I was joking with you that I work out to eat. I don't work out to have a hot bod. I just <laughs> want to eat all of the things. So I do eat all of the things because I work out. I also have really strict boundaries with my flex schedule and I don't know how this works for you. So for example, Mondays and Wednesdays are my really bad days. I work all day into the night, but then I won't start work on Thursdays until 11 or 12. So I schedule my clients out that way so that I can have the really extreme work days. But then the next day I'm chill the next day. Do you have the option for that? No, but I do have a hybrid schedule,
0: and I'm able to work from home most of the week. If I needed to take the whole week, obviously, like given what's going on with me right now, they would respect me working from home like for the whole week if I could, um, if I can, which is really great, and I love that flexibility. But I don't think I've really navigated it well as far as organizing my day because the night before, I always prep everything for the kids' school, right? Yeah. But for myself, I tell myself, oh, I'm going to get up at this time yeah. to work out before that. But sometimes the kids pop up earlier than expected, or it's it's a tough time getting them out of bed. So it, there's things out of my circle of control in the morning, but I'm not a morning person either. So if I, I've set my alarm to get up to work out, I'm like, Oh, no,
1: not now. It's the best feeling to sleep into when your alarm goes off and something gets canceled or whatever. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. the best feeling. In terms of work-life balance, when you were in college, did you think that this is how it would be being an adult? No. (laughs) Me neither. I
0: had very big dreams to just be in some kind of art field and actually make money at it. I really thought that I was going to be either a writer, a journalist in the art world, maybe at a museum. I was flexible and open with any kind of artistic career path, but then Mm. realized pretty quickly that there's no money in that.
1: No, unless you're Grimes. But a lot of stuff has to like fall into place for that to happen. And I can remember being in college and I loved being in college because you could... Go to eat with your friends. And everybody lived on campus where I went. And then I would work out sometime during the day. And then I would go to class. And I had a lot of energy. And then I would work out at night sometimes. And go to, like, fun workout Zoom class, right? And I remember thinking that that maybe was how adulthood was going to be. And then I got slammed with my 9 to 5, fresh out of undergrad. And it it sucked. And, in fact, it was an 8 to 5. And it really sucked. Being tied to a desk all day was bad.
0: Yeah. That's how I realized during COVID that something had to change for me because I had been in an office setting for the past decade and just always getting jobs that really never felt like me. And I kind of almost had to pretend to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go home and be like, who am I? Who's this suit jacket wearing lady? Mm You know, I didn't that I thought I was going to be something more than that. And what does that mean though? Why do we put pressure on ourselves to be like, why do you, why did you want to be something so epic? Does that even matter? Is that what really matters as an adult? And I think that's another thing comparing to what I thought in college as to now. I thought being a big deal, having lots of money, having lots of, you know, jet setting around the world, that makes you matter.
1: Not true. Not true. I think that's just the message the world gives you is that that's what you have to have in order to matter and have an identity. And it's not true at all. And like you with COVID, I think that's when it really hit me. Mm. With grad school, when I went back to college life again, it really hit me. I could not do the eight to five anymore. I could not do this thing where I, at the time, was working as a paralegal. And so the other attorneys that I worked for had a flex schedule. They would come and go as they wanted and I remember watching that every day on my eight to five tied to that desk and if they weren't busy they went home at one I was stuck there till five and then exhausted when I got home I couldn't live like that anymore and similar to you I felt like I didn't matter because I didn't have a hobby outside of work so it was really embarrassing to me when other people would ask me what do you do for fun
0: I didn't have a response wow so cross stitching started later yeah yeah it's hard now when other adults ask, like specifically coworkers or my boss, like they talk about what did you do this weekend or what a lot of them, you know, ski and they're outdoorsy people because I'm in New England now. And I want I can't talk about this because I we like to keep the universes separate. Yes. This is the what's up universe. That is the alternate universe during business hours. Yes. <laughs> which stinks. has been so hard. Mm hmm. Yeah, because we both put so much into this that it's something that I'm very proud of and would love to talk about with more people and and share what it feels like to do one and can't share it with everybody.
1: No, and it's hard because like you, I don't want to be found. And so it's been like this since I had the memes page, like that was my entire life for a long time. And then mm-hmm. you switch to podcasting and you're really proud of it, but I don't want to be found. Not because I'm embarrassed of anything that you and I have ever said. I would be just you're fine right. if a coworker or a client found my podcast, but I just want a life that's separate from work. So like you, I don't say that I podcast. When did you start cross-stitching? Pre-COVID, a family member cross-stitched. And so i asked them to sit down with me and teach me how to do it and i'm the type of person that doesn't stick with stuff or at least i was Mm -hmm. until adulthood apparently and so this family member thought that i would start it and then never do it again so they taught me really rushed and i ended up sticking with it the first cross stitch i made was for my best friend she had moved into a new house and i made one that said this is a crack home not a crack house as like a joke (laughs) right and uh, it took me forever to make it because I had to keep ripping out stitches because I didn't know what I was doing but thank goodness for YouTube because somebody will teach on YouTube how to do something and that's how I learned all my stitches and got better at it and learned how to do stuff correctly instead of just winging it and people think that's cool but it's still not like what you're talking about where I have co-workers too where they like do stuff on weekends they go on like weekend trips number one yeah. I don't have the funds for that yeah number two I don't have the energy for that I don't know how they do it. I have a coworker, all three
0: of her kids play sports and she'll have to like run to one game, go to another game. She coaches some games and then she has the same job as me. And I'm like, how do you have the energy to sustain this? Every end of year, I'm like, I'm gonna change this. I'm gonna, you know, try to have a more built out schedule. I joined a mentor group for women in my field. And we had our first meeting a couple weeks ago and it was great. Everybody had like the same concerns and we all have goals that we present. And one of my goals is creating a routine because I'm not very good at that. I feel like I'm type A adjacent. I'm always around people that are type A, but there's parts of me that I know are not truly type A. So I have to really work at
1: it. That makes sense to me. Because you're talking to the most type A person ever that has every hour of the day written down about what I'm going to do. Because otherwise Mm -hmm. I fall apart with anxiety. That's the only reason I do it. It's why I have a control issue because of the anxiety. And you just mentioned something with the mentor support circle. One of the things that I think has been really important as an adult is connection. Because to any college child listening, it's really easy to make connections when you are in high school and elementary school and undergrad. Because the people are just there in front of you. What becomes really difficult is when you become an adult and you are stuck to a circle of people you may or may not like at work, mm-hmm. or you work a job where there aren't many people your age at work to make friends with. Something that I've found to be very common in other adults is loneliness. I
0: was very lonely for a mm-hmm. long time, but and I have a wonderful marriage, great relationship. He is my best friend. But you need friends outside of that. And people told me that time and time again. And I was that girlfriend. I'm like a serial monogamous person, always have been. And I would inadvertently dump friends because that guy likes me. Right. So I'm going to go hang out with that guy. And that's a huge mistake. Don't ever put everything into your relationship and then not focus on what you need, the friends that you need, keep them close because I've lost a lot of friendships over the years that could have potentially been saved. But again, a relationship like that is a
1: two-way street. It is on them just as, as much as it on you, so. There's a really great quote from one of my favorite theologians named C.S. Lewis. And he says, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Rather, it's one of those things which give value to survival. And I 100% agree. So we're told that friendship's really important. I can rattle off facts about how people live longer when they have good friends. Their mental health is better when they have good friends. What becomes difficult, though, is finding your tribe. It's the right type of person who is emotionally safe. That's tough.
0: How do you find someone that's emotionally safe? You kind
1: of just have to take that chance, right? I think first you have to understand red flags and green flags, in a relationship and this is true for romantic relationships too but if you can't identify what would be a red flag or a green flag in a relationship because people tell you who they are early on that's true and that's really interesting that you brought up green flags
0: no one really ever talks about looking out for the positives you're Mm -hmm. just always check out for red flags check out for negativity and toxicity but i don't really think about the positives to be honest until i'm in a relationship so that's really good advice
1: Yeah, and I don't think I notice the positives until I see a whole lot of the negatives somewhere, and I'm like, oh man, this is such a contrast to what my true friends feel like. For example, you and I discuss our friendship openly all the time, but I was feeling really upset over the last couple days. Well, weeks, let's be real. But specifically, (laughs) I was feeling upset yesterday. I was feeling really angry about a situation, and I was able to be in your DMs and get validation. I wasn't told what to do. I wasn't overlooked. I was listened to. And somebody cared about me and I felt emotionally safe that this person's not going to go and then talk to everybody about my problem. And as an adult, that's still really important to a friendship. Yeah. Here's the thing
0: you learn with age two is that even if you don't agree with your friend and a particular thing that they're going through, you have to support them and in- making the decision on their own because they're their own person you can't try to control somebody else or manipulate somebody else into believing what you think is wrong Mm -hmm. like if you see red, if i see red flags in a relationship that you have Mm -hmm. that's your choice you are an adult right to make the choice whether or not you want that person in your life nobody can make it for you
1: I relate to what you're saying, too, about the loneliness factor, because I've been through that as well. I was in my early 20s, and I decided to move, which I moved states to go to undergrad and had no problem making friends because you're in a dorm. You meet a lot of people. But then as an adult to choose to move, I moved to the beach out in South Carolina, and I thought it would be easy to make friends. And I ended up in an office setting where nobody was my age. And even though nobody was my age, it wouldn't have mattered if somebody was my age because We all had private offices, which was great at the time, right? I didn't have to work out of a cubicle. The problem is when you're not working out of a cubicle or in an open office, you don't talk to anyone if you're me. And you're working, like you're busy. So I don't have time to like walk down the hall and like talk to whoever is down there. So I remember what it's like feeling extremely lonely and trying to make friends and trying to make the right kinds of friends. So like going out and doing different social activities, but not meeting people you click with right away is also really tough.
0: Yes, and circling back to like the office setting, I find it and have always found it particularly challenging to strategically make friends in that setting because they're your peers, colleagues, you're out for the same jobs potentially. So you have to really be careful how vulnerable you are. That's always been tough for me.
1: Yes. How have you navigated around that? Do you feel like you've still made friends at work or you're pretty, you know, guarded about who you talk to?
0: I try. I always make an attempt and then find out whether or not they're the good person or the bad person. I kind of, you know, I like who I like and and will try to have conversations with people, but
1: you can't trust everybody.
0: No, I made that
1: mistake. Yeah, and that's part of the issue with adult friendships. I mean, any friendship, no matter how old you are, is you got to take the risk. Is this person going to be worth it? And are you going to give them the chance until they prove otherwise? It's a risk.
0: Yeah. I I think... I like to be honest. I'm an honest person. And maybe sometimes too honest at work. With how I'm feeling anyways. Not just, like, saying ridiculous things. It's... I... I've had a lot of loneliness so when I get the opportunity to talk to other humans sometimes maybe I go a little too deep with people that I shouldn't be deep with Mm -hmm. that's still a learning curve for me
1: yeah so you feel like you're being vulnerable with people that you don't necessarily know are safe yet
0: yeah how I mean how else are you gonna find out if someone's safe unless you take a chance
1: yeah, I think some so much of this comes down to risk, and we're not alone that we feel lonely. Um, according to Psych Central in general, this is based on 2021 survey data, the average person in America has between three and five close friends. According to this survey, almost half, 49%, report having three or f- fewer close friends, and over one third report having between four and nine close friends. If you had polled me in undergrad, I would have said, oh, I had like 10 close friends if you had pulled me as an adult depends on what part of my adulthood I would have said like one to two I would have always said one to
0: three maybe you know I I had a group of girlfriends in college and we had our moments where we felt really close but you know we graduated and we didn't all live in the same area and we grew up and and moved on, and that's, that's another sad p- part about adulting is that friendships that you really thought would last the long haul are not going to, and that's okay. You're a different person. You grow and you learn and you change. We don't all stay the same.
1: No, and I'm always fascinated by people that kept the same friends since like high school or childhood. I'm not that person. I am a seasonal friendship person. I don't mean to be. It's not on purpose. So every season of my life, I make friends and then gradually we move apart and I make new friends at wherever I'm at that's new. And I don't know if that's healthy necessarily, but I'm okay with it. I mean, do you feel like you've ever been that way? I've had a
0: lot of change, like location
1: change in my
0: life where I've moved around a lot. So it naturally would happen because my whole life changed. But I was always, as a child, close with guys. Like, I I was always the girl hanging out with guys. I really didn't have too many girlfriends. And I think that does come back to my relationship with my mom. And I would see her and her friendships, and all she would do is, like, talk smack on them and gossip. And she hardly any had any friends around her because of that because she had a big mouth. She couldn't keep secrets. And, like, I would see all this negative behavior and she's lonely and angry and she's isolated herself. And that was the example I saw as like someone with female relationships. So I kind of always would gravitate towards guys. So I was always hanging out with guys and I had some girlfriends, but they there would always be drama. And maybe it was me. Maybe sometimes it was them,
1: but it was exhausting. So. Well, you've even mentioned recently mommy groups. Mm-hmm. Being very much the same way. Yes.
0: Where I live right now, a lot of the women have known each other since like preschool and they've grown up here and their kids are here. So they have their whole like foundation already built and they don't want any new guests, new people. And I've heard people say that, not specifically to me, but they were sharing, oh, you know, they're not very accepting here and they have, they're have they all set with friendships and they'll tell you that okay, well, if you want to be a person that doesn't want to grow and meet new people and explore new friendships, then maybe we're not fit for each other anyways.
1: Yeah, which I think just adds to that feeling as a mom of, of questioning yourself and wondering if, if you're the type of person that other people want to spend time with, even though that's ridiculous. I can't imagine if I was a mom in those groups, I would wonder what was wrong with me, even though you know it's not you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're poor COVID. Oh my God. (laughs) I was at a birthday party uh, for my son. He got invited to two birthday parties in one week a couple months ago. And I thought that was really great progress for a kid in a new area. Like, he's popular. He has no problem making friends. I'm at this birthday party and there's this group of moms just like talking loudly and laughing the whole time like they're in high school. And then the kids, you know, we're all supposed to be kind of watching the kids, I guess. I don't really know what you're supposed to do in these settings. <laughs> <laughs> you just sit there, okay, well, cake time, all right. Um. So I would just watch them and I'm like, you're not even watching your kids. You're just like gossiping and laughing. And I was like, that's not the right setting for this, I don't think. And I immediately felt like, I was back in high school and there were the girls at lunch laughing and I'm wondering, are they laughing at me? Is there something, you know, it just immediately put me back into that. Like, are you going to shove me into a locker? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I had a really, I can't say traumatic, traumatic's the wrong word. That's too intense, but I had a really difficult high school experience, which ended up being good because it taught me that I loved reading. I lost all my friends in high school For various reasons. And it happened within one year. It was my junior year. So I had one more year to get through, and I was incredibly depressed at the time. So I realized that you could read instead of socializing in between classes. (laughs) Who'd have thought? Right? So I picked up Stephen King at that time. And so I just always had a Stephen King book with me in between classes when everybody else is like socializing or whatever. Yeah, I would read and I got invited to prom which surprised me at the time and I remember apologizing to my prom date because I knew I didn't have friends and feeling like oh he's gonna he's going to feel embarrassed to be with me which was not the case at all and the reason I knew him like the way I knew him is that we worked out together in the morning in this workout group so he had known me long term from this group but he hadn't really seen me socialize and so I I like felt bad So then I went to college and I made all these friends and it was just this different world. And I feel bad, anybody going through high school, I feel bad for anybody going through high school, whether you're having a good experience or not. I can't imagine going back to that social setting and doing math homework. (laughs) I, you know, it's
0: funny. High school was okay. It was all right. But, you know, very typical high school things happened. But, you know, I, I had friends and managed, I didn't have A lot of friends, but I had some close friends that I was happy with, and I liked what I did. I did a lot of theater and singing and was in all sorts of clubs, so I was busy. You know, I kept myself busy and on a regimented schedule, and I I missed that. Um, Going to college is where I had a tougher time because I didn't realize that they weren't going to knock on your door and tell you to go to sleep. Oh, yeah, so you had trouble with the routine then? Yes, I think it all comes back to to that. When I was really busy all the time, I felt better because I could schedule everything. I, I mean, pre-children, you know, when you're a young person. But when I got to college, it was like, you know, you don't have the same classes every day. You only have a, you know, there are some days maybe you only have one class or no classes. So you're just, uh, what do I do? And I became reclusive. I would just, I deep dove into music. Um, That's what I was studying at the time. So I just, that came, became my whole life. I would chat a lot online with my old friends. I would be in Boston a lot visiting my friends from high school. It was very hard separating. And I think I missed out on a lot of opportunities to make friends in college because I kind of freaked out and closed myself off.
1: Yeah, so you and I had totally opposite experiences with college then.
0: Yeah, it got a little better over time, but I picked a school where I thought I was meeting other like-minded people, and I did, but I realized I don't really like those people. And it made me think, maybe I don't really like me. Maybe I need to work
1: on me. (laughs) What was it that you saw in those other people at the time before you maybe saw it in yourself that you thought, wow, this isn't? The type of people I want to surround myself with very
0: it was before the term woke like very liberal um artsy people but again these people came from very wealthy families oh yeah and I came into this with not that at all and I got angry and resentful that why wasn't that my life why did they get piano lessons since they were two And I would have teachers tell me, well, they had a privileged life and you didn't. They would say things like that
1: to me. So I would just be like, oh, well, of course I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be. Yeah. Yeah. You came into this world with a crappy set of cards that you were dealt. And so why would you think that things are going to get any better?
0: Yeah. I try not to see it that way anymore. You know, they. it is what it is. I'm here and I have my own life and... I don't want to think that I'm less than, but there are situations still, whether it's at work, like work trips or just situations where I'm out, where I just feel less than like an overwhelming tidal wave of like, you are not good enough. And it's like all at once. And in that moment, and I navigate around, you know, you're in public. You can't be like, whoa, (laughs) but I think I've, recognizing it now and not just letting it make me depressed and not understand where it's coming from. I try to... You've seen the movie Dreamcatcher, right? Mm-hmm. The Stephen King one, where the guy has that, like, the he's locked in his mind. I I always imagine that. We're on a Stephen King topic. Love you know? it. <laughs> where I lock that that anxious person in a room. Like I lock them in there. They're in there. They can flip out in there. They can throw everything they want, but I don't need to deal with it mm-hmm. right now. That's their problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to separate it like that. That sounds crazy, but it has helped me to like have visual aids like that to keep it in check. Because otherwise you're just, you're never going to get through or never feel like you have enough confidence. Like confidence is still coming up in my conversations with my, my work. You seem insecure. You seem... like you don't have confidence. Well, when life has told you that you're not good enough so much, it does affect you.
1: Yeah, and by the way, you're using imagery there, which is an awesome coping skill. Another coping skill you can use from a cognitive behavioral therapy standpoint is to ask yourself, what's the evidence that I'm not good enough? In that moment, the imagery is perfect. Later on during the night, it's good to ask yourself and have your brain reason through, what's the evidence that I'm not good enough at this? Yeah. Cuz I know you and I know especially at work there's not evidence.
0: No. No. I it's it's back to that imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I think I don't know if you notice this with with your clients. I I suspect more women have that than men. Mm-hmm. Just because we're kind of I was raised to lean on a man. You know, because that's how my dad was. He took care of everything. So you find somebody to take care of everything. Like you can have dreams. You can do whatever you want, but you're still a woman. You're not as good as a man.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so much of it comes back from childhood because you and I have had to talk through confidence before Mm -hmm. because I've seen moments where you felt really hard on yourself and I'm wondering where this is coming from and then realizing that's you. You beat yourself up a lot sometimes because you get stuck in this spiral I yeah. think from how you were raised mm-hmm. and how you've learned to beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. You said something once that pretty
0: much changed how I think about it. That I'm, I'm ref- self-reflective to the point of no return. And I was like, that is such a... A spot-on description of it because I try to work through my issues on my own and talk it out and sometimes that's not good and if you don't have like a mediator or a therapist or somebody to bounce it off of you're kind of just spiraling
1: I think one of the things that worked out really well early on in our friendship before we were deeper friends is you would always be honest about I feel this way And Mm -hmm. so I I feel like I'm less than I feel like whatever it was that you were worried about, whether or not it made, quote unquote, logical sense at the time or not. You were always honest. And that helped me understand what you're going through so that then we could come to a resolution. And that was really early on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really changed my life to have a friend like you, because having emotionally safe people that you can turn to and throughout the week, just be able to be like, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now. And you don't feel like you're emotionally dumping. It's a safe space where you both can do that. That's a hard relationship and you know, component of a relationship to navigate and nurture and grow. I mean, I don't think I've had many relationships where I felt that way.
1: I think too, the reason why that feels so emotionally safe is that you have to have somebody on the other end who can tell you what their boundaries are when it's not a good day for them. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I learned to do early on with friendships in grad school would be to check in with my friends. Like, are you okay to listen to this right now? Like I'm really emotional. Are you okay to listen to this right now? Or are you overwhelmed with your life and your career so that I need to rely on somebody else right now? And I think that's a very emotionally vulnerable thing to do too, is to be honest with your friends. I can't handle this right now Yeah. um, or I'm busy right now, um, but I will get back to you.
0: Yeah. You do say that too. Sometimes you're like, I'm, you know, I can't listen to voices right now in the middle of something, but I will circle back with you. Hope everything is okay. Very supportive. And it, it just takes that little, you know, it's not much effort to just be supportive. And I think that's where people go wrong in relationships because I look at my husband's friendships. He pretty much does a hundred percent of the work. Yep. I feel like that's common. And he tells me that's how relationships are. And, um, no. (laughs) He's, He's okay with people. He accepts people for who they are. And that comes with people that are not exactly nice, make efforts. So he's always just kind of set the bar low for the people he would allow in his life. Not that he's always surrounding himself with toxic people. Sometimes they are. You know, it does relate back to, you know, the friendships he had and the relationships he's had growing up where he he felt like he just couldn't really be heard because he doesn't really turn to anybody besides me and maybe, you know, his his dad or people that are really, really close to him with his problems. He's not one to ever open up, which I think is you shouldn't be that way either. You should find people where you can open up.
1: And I think that's a risk too. It's so hard to find those people that you feel comfortable opening up. That they, It's not that they necessarily say the right things back. It's their attitude towards you when you're like, hey, I really need to talk. That they can reflect back to you how you're feeling. That they can validate for you why you're feeling the way you're feeling and keep it safe. So for example, last night I was talking to you and I was talking to Jack about a situation that's difficult for me. And not only do you both listen really well, but you don't then automatically jump into problem solving of like, here's what you should do or mock me for mm. feeling the way I do or mock me for how I chose to handle the situation versus how you maybe would have. Because I feel like I've experienced that in friendships before. Like, why did you do that? This is like the yeah. dumbest thing you could have done. And I know that somebody is kidding, but I take that stuff very personally. I'm very sensitive to what people say to me. And, so, and, and the way they say it to me I will get upset
0: yeah well I know that about you and I know that you love and care about the people that you surround in your life so if you're coming to me for advice about that I know how precious that is to you so I'm of course going to respect your feelings but also come from a place where I'm in- validating your feelings but at the same time How do you balance that concern? Because as a friend, there are things that you want to share where you have concerns. Like you don't want
1: to see your friend get hurt. Yeah. But I think you took that risk even yesterday to say, here's the concern I have, which is hard to go out on a limb and say it. And I Mm -hmm. think it takes humility from the listener to say, like, "I I see your point and I could be wrong here. Yeah. Because, again, I'm not in your relationship. I have no...
0: And we're also, for I hate to say we're virtual. I'm, we're more than virtual friends. But a lot of, you know, I don't. If you have friends that I I haven't really seen you together, yes. So I see you. You know, you have a online relationship with somebody else. I have no visibility to what that looks like. Nor should I. It has nothing to do with me. But if I see things that you're sharing, it concerns me. And if there's other things that come about that have you know laid out a pattern of this behavior then it does worry me just because I've gotten to a place in my life where if I see any red flags in people that are just going to make my life harder it's not it's not worth it
1: no I agree I think this is why though you need friends that are going to tell you the truth about what's going on or how they see it and so apparently According to the Survey Center on American Life Findings in 2021, the number of close friendships that Americans report having has declined over the past several decades. Of course, women are far more likely than men to receive emotional support from their friends. And this whole why women no, no, no. This whole number of close friendships has declined over the past couple decades. What are your hypotheses on why that is? Why there are less friendships, people having close friendships,
0: probably because of the internet. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure COVID has has led to a lot of that. And I don't know if they're looking at people's online friendships as well as real life friendships. But I mean, I think we're just living in an increasingly disconnected world even though we have all of these social media platforms and it seems like we're getting to a place where we are more connected but it's all virtual you know there there are times where we you know we're talking and we're preparing this podcast and I get off and I go back into my real physical world life and I think about how much I would love to just hug you Or just like high five you or go out for coffee or do something in real life. And it makes me sad. I have this whole virtual life with you and this community and this podcast. But it also doesn't feel totally real.
1: Until you and I started discussing it over the last couple weeks to months, I didn't realize how real it was to me. And I started fully embracing that term cyborg. (laughs) Because I pick up my phone if i'm in between clients i pick up my phone to talk to you or to see if you've messaged me you jack the other people that i talk to in the community that's the first thing i do is pick up my phone to talk Mm -hmm. because that's just part of my world that is my world yeah but like you said i think i think the lack of friendship stems not only from an increasing need to not be known like we don't want to be known but also Mm -hmm. we've removed ourselves from communities where we had to be known like you know you think about like villages or smaller Mm -hmm. communities prior to the internet or TV where your main activities for socialization and for entertainment were to hang out with other people and you were in smaller communities where you relied on each other that's no longer the case Mm -hmm. there are moments when I'll be sitting there watching like Netflix and cross stitching and a friend will call me and I will ignore the call because I'd rather sit there and engage in Netflix which makes no sense. But I think the internet has created, I don't know, a vast hole in some of my real life friendships. I still have them, but I just, I'm not as engaged as I used to be prior to full internet involvement. That's interesting. Do you feel
0: closer to myself and other people in the community than
1: friends that you have in your real life? Not really, because I have really caring, concerned, compassionate friends in my real life. What's weird is what you just mentioned. I keep them totally separate. Mm. So like my best friend in real life knows about my pages and also knows that I want to keep it totally separate. So she's not on my pages. Wow. Weird, right? So we'll never
0: have a crossover of universes. I will never meet her.
1: (laughs) No, and I don't know why I like that. I think it's just, I think it's the nature of how difficult adulting feels and my career feels yeah that I just love having this totally separate world of people that I equally care about I just don't like the crossover for some reason it's like that what's that
0: Seinfeld episode universes are colliding yes you know uh, it's
1: do you feel like a different person kind of when you're around them you're the same I am the exact same person. My personality is the exact same. Everything that anybody has ever seen on like my memes platform or on the podcast, that is my real life personality and my my career personality. Do you feel like you're different at work? I try to be, but
0: it's kind of hard. I'm the kind of person that it's it's difficult for me to hide who I am.
1: Yeah, same. Same. (laughs) I can't. I can do it for like two hours and be like different.
0: Yeah. It's hard for me. This is where I'm at in my career where professionally the work I do is up there and I'm getting, you know, I'm I'm growing and I'm getting to that level. It's the personal stuff and my emotional mindset that's affecting my growth at this point. And I don't really know what where it stems from. I don't know if I have like a Peter Pan thing where... Uh, there's a part of being young that I always want to stay tapped into like youthful mindsets thinking of new ways of doing things right but at the same time I feel like I have to be a straight laced grown adult lady and I look in the mirror sometimes when I'm like just momming like my hair's a mess I have sweatpants on with like Cheeto dust all over them and I'm like who is that lady
1: (laughs) I remember feeling that way when I was in college, especially as it came towards my junior year and feeling terrified of being an adult because I thought I'd have to choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. I'd have to be like this really strong career person or I would have to be stuck in college mode. And the fear of that was debilitating sometimes. And to be honest, I don't think I learned how to have fun again until the memes page and then when that was no longer fun, which we've talked about for hours. Starting the podcast was like, oh, I feel like again, I have another way to have fun. Yeah. One of the things that works about you and I's friendships, I was I was in between clients and when I do couples counseling, I work off something called Gottman theory. So Gottman theory of uh couples counseling relies on extensive research about how couples divorce and why couples don't divorce. And I realized that a lot of it applies directly to friendship. And I was thinking about you and I's friendship specifically and stuff that we've had to come up against and why it feels so safe. So for example, Gottman espouses that there are four things that if you do it in your relationship enough, you're probably going to divorce. So Mm. um, you have to be wary of these things and then they provide antidotes to those things. So the four things are criticism, contempt, contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling so if this is how you're communicating with your partner stop it because that's going to get you nowhere and causes uh anger to build up over time so criticism for example is obvious it's verbally attacking the person that you're talking to contempt is attacking sense of self with an intent to insult or abuse the other person defensiveness is victimizing yourself always so you can never say you're right let me look at your point of view And then stonewalling is when you are just withdrawing completely. So instead of even having the conversation, I'm cutting myself off from you and I'm just going to go about my day and shove it under the rug. And I realized how good we both are at the antidotes to this. So for example, I was Mm. talking to you yesterday about gentle startup. Soft startup, gentle startup is the antidote to criticism. And that's when you talk about your feelings using I statements and express a positive need. So example. Last week, we were talking about social media stuff and you were rightfully frustrated with me about some some stuff I was doing on our social media. And the way you started the conversation was not, hey, I'm I'm really pissed about what's going on with this. And can you back out for two seconds, which is what you could have done, right? Instead, I don't know if you remember the way you started the conversation. You sent me a voice message that said, hey, I really want us to meet and talk about this. Because I thought we decided on one thing and it looks like it's something else. And I just want to have a conversation about it, which then immediately clicked in my mind. Oh, shoot. We did talk about that. But I would have gotten really angry and defensive if you would come at me in a really hard way, which a lot of people do.
0: we It's not just our friendship. We are co-workers too, Mm -hmm. right? And when you approach somebody... With something that you just want clarity on, right? You don't want to attack anyone for any reason, because again, that wasn't your intent. And I know that wasn't your intent. So just clarifying what's going on and having a conversation. And that's why I sent a voice message, because a lot of stuff can be mistranslated in writing. Believe me, work emails. You know, sometimes you're like, I'm just going to go talk to them. I want some clarity. This is ridiculous. You know, Um, if... If you put too harsh language, so it's going to put someone immediately on the defensive. If you want to, if you care about the person and want to have a conversation, you naturally, I think, approach it in a way yes. that's gentle.
1: Yes, agreed. And if you have that emotional trust there, that you know that they're not trying to screw you over, which we talked about on the last podcast. The second antidote, so it's the antidote to contempt, is building a culture of appreciation. So reminding yourself of your partner's positive qualities and find gratitude for positive actions. Another thing that has been very important to me as a human being, but then I met a partner that is also really good at that. Because I found the more moments you can take to say thank you for the small stuff, but it does add up. So Mm -hmm. we thank each other all the time for the smaller stuff because that stuff means something. Mm -hmm. Well, and just... Like all the support, for example,
0: like I tell you how tough work is sometimes because, you know, it's it's work that that, it's called work for a reason. (laughs) And you just will start my day being like, hey, I'm thinking about you right now. Do you know how much that totally changes my entire day? Just that one sentence, Mm -hmm. knowing somebody was thinking about me and and made the effort to do that like that. That's love. That's appreciation. That makes you feel warm and and also more confident as a person. I didn't realize the lack of friendships in my life resulting in insecurity. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have that appreciation
1: or support told to me because the people weren't around. A hundred percent. So then you're you're having to make up things or scenarios in your own head of what's going on when you really need that other person to come in and remind you of the truth about yourself sometimes mm-hmm. of how you are this amazing person. And so with the culture of appreciation, I'm assuming you've also been in this situation with a job, you know about my last agency job. And part of why I called it quits, there was a lot of reasons why I called it quits and MK was along for the ride early on at that point. And um, I had gone, when I first got that job, I had a boss who I'm very close with, who's still my mentor as a therapist, who was awesome. Appreciated me, appreciated my boundaries, appreciated my time, which we both have for each other. And then I was transferred to another boss who had none of those things, would like call me after hours and expect me to do work after hours and on weekends and never said thank you. And I never thought that would be something that bothered me because it's like, oh, you know, why should she have to say thank you for me just doing my job? (sighs) That's that like builds resentment really quickly when you feel like they don't appreciate anything I do, even if it's super small. No,
0: I've had bosses that would only thank me if other people had visibility to it so they could show that they care, but they don't really care. You're not really a person to them. I'm lucky to be in a situation now where that's not the case. But again, you know, I've had a long track record of people that don't care about me as a person. And I understand there has to be some boundary there. They are your supervisor. They can't just be chummy with you in here and and be emotionally safe with you, really. Like, that's not their position to do that. In some instances, that's pretty much totally inappropriate. But there has to be a grateful and appreciative attitude from a boss to a, you know, their direct report, you know, whoever's directly reporting to them. Because otherwise, why would you want to work for somebody that's not respecting you?
1: No, and I think especially if you struggle with confidence, which I think a lot of people do, we just talked about this, it means a lot to hear from your supervisor, thank you. Even if it's just an email that's, that, that directly says, thank you for the report you just sent me.
0: Or a great job, you know, how about a great job, well done, every once in a while. Not all the time, but yes. sometimes.
1: So I'm super expressive in general. And so whenever I see stuff from you that I'm like, oh, that looks so good. Like we did, we did, um, we did, you did backgrounds recently on TikTok. And I think it's the first social media thing you did that I don't know how to do or I've never done before. What? And it like, <laughs> it made our clips look so good. I like, I like freak out. You don't see me in the background, but I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, that looks Well, you so message
0: good. me. That's a great, like that you're like, oh, that looks great or You're very supportive of everything we do together, Yeah, you know, and it's taken me a while to kind of get the reins of social media. We talked about this before because you've had so many years of experience. So I'm doing everything I can to up my game. And for you to appreciate and acknowledge that like means the world to me. So it makes me work harder.
1: Yeah, because I see it as really rude if you are not expressing how you feel to somebody that you're working with because then they have to wonder. Do they yeah. like what I just put up? Do they like how I like you're very um expressive in gratitude about like my editing for example when some you notice something because otherwise I think you're left wondering and I'm a super confident person but I think you're left wondering like oh do, we we work as partners and I care about their opinion so I want them to be happy with what mm-hmm. we're putting out mutually. Yes. It does matter. Taking yeah. responsibility is the antidote to defensiveness and being able to say I'm sorry for this part. I see where you're coming from, which I feel like I learned this skill a couple years ago. And honestly, once you learn how to take responsibility, it doesn't hurt. It's not like a blow to pride. It's like riding a bicycle. Yeah. Once you take
0: the training wheels off, it's so easy to be like, you know what? I messed up. I'm going to take full accountability. I'm really sorry. And that's all I can do. And you can accept that or not accept that. That's that's all, you know, and we can move on. Let's just move on. Yes. i have a tendency to overthink and a lot of times that was connected to being defensive and i grew up in a very defensive household where a lot of times people were not taking accountability for their behavior or their actions and i was like that a lot of my life through adult young adulthood where i just couldn't see anybody else's perspective i knew everything i was right all the time and really I was mistaking insecure you know confidence for insecurity. I was just very insecure. But since I embraced that at work, like if you've made mistakes at work, which I have, you know, sometimes you're like it's debilitating because you don't know what it's going to lead to. Not totally major mistakes, but something little that your boss may want to talk to you about and you know, help you navigate through or offer some advice and you have to just be willing to be open and and move through that otherwise you're just going to remain defensive and not learn or grow as a person you have to take initiative and work on the things that you mess up
1: yes and that's how i used to be what you're describing is how i used to be and because i'm so confident in type a i could find a way to make it your fault like i could find a way to manipulate somebody else into thinking it was their fault and i would never take responsibility for anything and then like you said, it's like it's like um it's like what you said about the bicycle with the training wheels off. Once I learned how to say sorry and sucked it up enough to tell somebody you're right, I'm wrong, once you do that a couple times, it just becomes norm to be like, Oh shoot, you're right. Otherwise yeah. I feel like you're gonna have a really tough time adulting at work in your relationships and in your friendships.
0: Yes, but there there can be a point where you can be the person that over apologizes. Oh, Which yes. I tend to do sometimes too. And that kind of ties into the overthinking and insecurity as well. If you're overly apologizing for something you're taking accountability for and the person's like, okay, I get it. Like, relax. <laughs> you're like, oh no, I went overboard with apologizing. So I've had to keep that in check and and be strategic about when I apologize because Even if you want to take accountability for something, does that necessarily think you need to apologize or inundate somebody with, I'm so sorry because of blah, 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 because that's not always the answer.
1: No, it's not. And then that actually gets in the way of your communication because then the other person feels like they need to soothe you. Yes. Because you're freaking out, then it becomes the opposite of an apology. It's like, now I'm responsible for your emotions to make sure you're okay. Yeah. So then they won't want to
0: come to you and tell you about anything that may be a mistake or not because
1: they'll, they're gonna have to talk you off the ledge. Yes. Uh, the antidote to stonewalling, which is where you just don't talk to your partner, is to uh, physiologically self-soothe. So take that break and spend time doing something soothing and distracting until you're ready to come back and have the conversation. I'm gonna ask you how you are with this because um, this is the one I struggle with most. And I've actually said sorry to you before over this, I want to have a conversation immediately, regardless of whether or not I know I'm calm or not. And regardless of whether or not I know that it was actually an internal trigger that caused me to go off about something mm-hmm. and not somebody else's fault. I This is the one I struggle the most with in my life is being able to say, I need a minute because mm-hmm. this is likely something going on with me and I need to go self-soothe for a second and then I will be back and I want to have this conversation instead. I'm like, no. I want to talk about it now. Do you feel like Mm -hmm. you're good at this and like in your relationship with your husband?
0: No, I'm not good at this at all.
1: (laughs) I I try.
0: I it's so hard. I do want to talk about it. You know, if something is bothering me, I want to talk about it. Like we have, I use that safe word that we've used on here before, mango. Oh, yeah, Mango! Sally Steiner! Yes, so... Thank you, Sally. (laughs) So I'll say Mango if I want to have, like, a serious conversation. I love that. But, again, he's not always willing to participate in it. He needs a lot of time to decompress. Like, when he's with Bowie or doing stuff around the house, or he has crazy days, too, he has a hard time opening up. And sometimes I do feel like he kind of stonewalls me Mm. because he needs that time. And I'm not seeing he needs that time because I'm just thinking about what I want to talk about. So you have to be aware of why you want to talk about it right then and make yourself sit down and soothe yourself. And that's hard for me to do.
1: That's really hard for me to do. And I also grew up with God Lover. My mom is a wonderful mom. And one of her downfalls is that she stonewalls everybody like crazy. And Hmm. so one of the things that's really frustrating to me, we're total opposites in personality. And she's very passive and I am very the opposite of that. And very assertive. And... When she's really mad at me, she's gone months without talking to me before because she won't have the conversation. And even if I extend the olive branch, which is where you just send somebody a text or call them and say, like, I really want to talk. I'm really sorry. Can we talk? And just give them that opportunity to come to you. She won't do it. So she'll stonewall me for months at a time. I think we've actually gone probably a full year one time. Like wow. that, which is hard for me because I'm very close wow. to her. Oh, it's a whole thing. She better not ever listen to my podcast, right? <laughs> my
0: Separate brother worlds listens. Yeah,
1: no, my brother listens, and I bet my brother's like, yeah, right now. <laughs> um. Anyway, I so it, I think I think I'm just so sensitive to that, and I know what it's like to have somebody stonewall me for months at a time, and you can't control it. Yeah, that I want to have the conversation now in case you do stonewall me, <laughs> and then I don't right. Want to stop you yeah
0: and I think that's where it comes from with
1: people that I mean
0: I don't know if this is the case with your mom but my husband he really he doesn't know when he needs that I don't think he pays attention to when he needs that because he'll be like I'll do it I'll make dinner I'll do this I'll do that and then he's just like out to space he's also very artsy and you know he he's a writer so he's very introspective and always thinking about stuff note taking so he has that you know already going on and I can tell if he's listened to podcasts all day that something is wrong you know that he needs to have his space like this space right now that I'm in he comes in here and has his time too like this is our decompression room where we kind of come in here and I get to do the podcast and he comes in here and writes and it's it's our space to just check out and you know, not have to deal with the world.
1: Question, because I can name when I know that you're getting upset because you've had a lot of stuff that's gone on during the day. Not upset with me, but in general. Yeah. What would you say, because you know me very well, what would you say, you know, like Jen's getting, Jen's having a moment?
0: I think if something involves somebody you really care about and you've gone out of your way, that's not really the right phrase but you go above and beyond to make a good relationship and I do think when you see somebody not fulfilling that what they're supposed to or not what they're supposed to it's just if somebody is just being kind of a dick (laughs) you arguably have a reaction to it Yeah, you know and I And that's totally normal. It's never anything work related. It's always related to your relationships because you care very much about the people that are in your inner circle. And as an adult, as we've talked about, we don't really have many people that we have as we age. You know, We cling to people. You said you have like seasons of friendships, but the people that are in your seasons, you care immensely about. And if they're not meeting you at the same standard of a friendship, That you're offering because you are an excellent friend you're very caring very thoughtful supportive all of the positive things and if someone isn't accepting of that that that's frustrating to anybody or reciprocating it i've been in that situation probably more than not where you're putting all in on someone and they really aren't engaged or willing to meet you there
1: yeah and that's when my resentment builds and that's how i think I can tell when somebody is very emotionally safe to me. I want people obviously to have this idea of me that I am 100% kind 100% of the time, right? Because like I care about that as a value. When I have somebody that I can like pop off in their DMs, not toward them, but like be like, F this person, which is what mm-hmm. you get from me and poor jackets from me a lot. Yeah. Um, it's how I know that I think somebody is emotionally safe because they're not judging me based on that. It's like, oh, Chin's having a moment. And then rightfully was like triggered by something, even like parasocially. You've listened to me pop off parasocially mm-hmm. about people because I felt triggered parasocially. So that means something.
0: It does, because again, that's kind of circles back to the meme page. You put a lot in that and you created and grew. The fandom because of that and that's not only a huge responsibility but no one that i know could do something like that it's amazing what you've done and to not have that kind of recognition from the person it's about is just total bs and that upsets me but i can't do anything we can't do anything about it if we can only control our reactions right correct and, and that's how friendships are, just not parasocial ones. You know, if somebody's doing something that's a friend of yours, they're not going to be perfect all the time. They may have a weird reaction to something because you don't know what's going on. And we've talked about that earlier in this podcast, that you have to just approach them gently with what you have going on and not just dump on them with what's going on with you. It's, a, it's almost like a tango. You have to learn how, you know, are they going to you know, match my movement here? Are we gonna like make this flow happen? Is this routine gonna work? Or are we gonna be stepping on each other's toes here? And I think
1: that's the risk. And that's why I so value this friendship is I know if I came to you right now, if we stopped this podcast and I said to you like, I'm not happy with the way we're doing X, I know that you wouldn't take that personally in the moment. You would say Mm -hmm. like, okay, let's figure it out. And let's figure out where like both of our sides come in versus mary kate's gonna get so mad at me and shut me down and i think that happens a lot in some of my friendships you know you're gonna get shut down Mm -hmm. so what's the point of having the conversation yeah
0: i take a lot of risks with people and have had a lot of situations almost like i don't know if you're familiar with larry david Curb Your Enthusiasm, he's a yes. creator of Seinfeld, uh-huh. he's always in these situations with people that are just, because he's such an of like, polarizing person, that he will just say what he feels and does, and I feel like I've led most of my life like that, and have not really thought about how it makes other people feel i wasn't raised in an environment like that i was raised by very narcissistic people so that teaches you to just care about you and your feelings and not anyone else but if you want to make friends you have to get that worked on work on yourself and don't you want to learn about other people you have to sit back and you know is it all about you
1: all the time no Exactly. And I found the thing that for me is the number one relationship killer is when I haven't had those conversations as they've happened with people when I've been upset. Mm -hmm. And so my resentment builds over time and then I will fly off the handle about small stuff. And if I've been doing that for too long, the relationship's over to me. Yeah. The problem is when that's my fault because the other person would have been okay with me addressing it. But then there's also friendships where I realize the other friend would not have been okay with me addressing it, which is why I kept it to myself. Mm-hmm. And now I'm flying off the handle and this just needs to end.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are people that aren't good with that kind of confrontation. My my husband is one of them. He is not a confrontational person at all. And if he's put in a position where he has to be, he, <laughs> he will like be, feel cornered and freak out. And he never freaks out. Like the he's only like raised his voice a couple of times around the kids and like they get like, oh, huh? what's going on? Like I'm more the disciplinarian. and they're used to me just being like, What are you doing there? Go on there. Eat stop that. it. Yeah. <laughs> stop, stop. You know, that's me. He he doesn't he doesn't do that. It, it, well, he'll say it once and they will do it. But I have to say it like five billion times. <laughs> you know? It's just like do it do it, do it. do it and I have to like You know, when I yell, it's like not even a thing. I'm also from Boston, so that's just how I talk. I'm trying to talk softer,
1: but... (laughs) I think we've both done an excellent job at trying... Because I project my voice all the time, generally. That's how I speak. And then you're from Boston, and I think we've Mm. both worked on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I think going back to what I was saying about his confrontation, like, people aren't always okay in those scenarios, even if you're gently coming to them about something because it's still a, a topic that may make them uncomfortable no matter how you approach it. It's still a risk.
1: It's a risk. I just know from experience and you do too, obviously. but in my life, some of, well, some of the moments that have been the most impactful to me are when somebody says, you're right, I'm sorry period Mm -hmm. there is no i wouldn't have said that if you weren't acting this way jen there's none of that it's just i'm sorry period have impacted me so deeply that i realized a couple years ago that that's the person i wanted to be too was i'm genuinely hearing what you have to say and i'm sorry period there is no reason i should have acted like that yeah
0: that's true so as a therapist what is your advice to others out there that may
1: want to grow their friendships with people what what would you say to them work on yourself first so that's why I think everybody needs a therapist because you got to figure out what's going on with you I see a therapist too as a therapist, I think you got to figure out what's going on with you before you can take that step to get closer to other people. The second Mm -hmm. thing I would say is you got to put yourself into communities in order to make those friendships. So you can't just sit at home playing video games and podcasting necessarily to make those friendships. You have to be a part of workout groups or the local dance class. I don't know. Whatever it is that's your thing, that's where I would start. What's going on with me? What makes me tick? Why am I scared of vulnerability? And how do I put myself in positions to meet people? They're like-minded. Oh, and identify your red and green flags. What is it for me There's a green flag of a friendship? Because I can list them off. Yeah, and, let's give it some examples. Oh, like for me, um, listening is a really important one. And not just listening where people don't say anything back to you. That's awkward. I don't like that. It's when people can reflectively <laughs> listen to you. Like they listen fully and then say, absolutely, here's why you're feeling this way, which is a basic skill. Two would be emotionally safe where I can come to them and I know that I'm not going to get chewed out or called names is really important Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. And then three would be I feel like I'm important to them by small acts of kindness. Mm. What what, what do you think would be on your list of greens?
0: You know what's funny? Listening is something I've used to work on for me. So that's funny that that's a green flag also.
1: You're so good at it though. If you look back at last week's podcast and you and I both noticed this You fully stuck with listening to me talk until I was done. And then you spoke, which we've never had a problem with ever. But it meant a lot more to me last week because I was emotional. And sometimes when I'm really emotional, it takes me a minute to get my thought process. And I hate it when somebody interrupts me when I'm clearly still trying to get out my words. Yeah. You listened fully. So it's so interesting to me that that's something you worked on.
0: Yeah. It's taken a long time because... Again, if you don't have many friendships, you don't really talk to a lot of other people, you're in your head a lot. So it's hard for you to listen if you're just always, your voice is droning out everything else. So that's a great green flag, I think. Uh, For green flags, I think having an emotionally safe person that you can turn to, that understands you, that's in your tribe, like finding your tribe, like people that are like-minded, understand where you're coming from aren't manipulative or trying to use you in any way which is so hard to pick up on at first when you meet people you kind of have to get to know them to know if they're a bad apple
1: yeah i think that's where it comes into play that you need to be careful with how much you're sharing before Mm. you get to the point of oh man i'm so deep in this friendship and i just realized you know a month in that you are not the type of person i want knowing my stuff or speaking into my life my closing thought would be that you get to control who speaks into your life. Not everybody has the right or deserves to speak into your life. And I will tune people out that I don't want speaking into my life. Or I'll tell them like, hey, I don't, I'm don't, i not interested in your opinion. And then there's certain people that I have let into my life and I want their opinion on my life. I'm asking for it even if it hurts. Because you trust them. That's friends, guys. That's friends. Uh, we're going to go record another podcast because we're crazy. And then I'm going to eat a cheeseburger and, you know, edit this. And we'll be back for more content. Bye, guys.